Oh no, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you knew I hadn't read that. And so you make your point, you make me sound like an idiot, and then you cite a source that you know I haven't read. <laughs> Drag Geek Girl, ladies and gentlemen. Well done. Well done. Hello, Bizzlecast listeners. I am the Bizzle. And I'm Jedi Geek Girl from Miami Bell. Welcome to the Star Wars Lordcast. Presented by the Bizzlecast. And may the Force be with us. No. Oh, do not. There is no try. Happy beach here, buddy. Come on. Copy that. We're almost there. You must have a thousand questions. Where's Ray? Go away! Shinji, what are you doing here? When I found you, I saw what all masters live to see. Raw, untamed power. The potential of your bloodline. We need your help. We need the Jedi Order back. We need Luke Skywalker. All right, ladies and gentlemen of the Bizzlecast, welcome back to the Lorecast with Jedi Geek Girl, wherein we are uh, uh, launching really this time for real, officially, for good, sort of, but for real, the Lorecast featuring the Bizzle and Jedi Geek Girl on the Lorecast. We're going to explain in a minute exactly what the hell I just said and what it means. But for the moment, to get this thing started, Jedi Geek Girl, welcome to the Lorecast, the official launch of the website and social media and so forth. Welcome. Thank you, Bizzle. I am so glad to be here and see the official launch of the Lorecast. I know that we have been doing this for a little bit, but now we have a social media presence and a game plan in place. And I'm so excited that I am just rambling and the possibilities. I mean, celebrations next year, we have this, but there's just so much for us to cover. But let's step back a little bit and let's say thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Bizzle, for having me. And let's get the show on the road. Yes. And here, okay, guys, so here's the game plan. First of all, topic. Today, we're going to be talking about the prequels, but we're not just going to be talking about the prequels because we always talk about the prequels, and we're going to continue talking about the prequels with commentaries and other podcasts, but we're going to be specifically talking about remembering the prequels, but also the function of memory when it comes to the prequels, as well as the way people's own memories and attitudes have changed, evolved, or devolved, in some people's cases, over the years in regards to the prequels um, uh, here on the Lorecast. but Jedi Geek Girl, really quickly, and you'll help me out with this. So the reason this is the official launch of the Lorecast is we, we knew we wanted to do a special podcast with the two of us where we do it every week together and do a wide range of topics, both old and new, historical, modern, cultural, social, philosophical, etc. And we came up with the name uh, a couple months ago. Um, and so I said this was the third launch. The, the first launch was just me and Jedi Geek Girl doing podcasts together. And Jedi Geek Girl, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this is our 14th Bizzlecast together? 
Honestly, I lost count. Uh, I know that I have a catalog with 14. all the episodes, but I didn't yeah. bother counting them. So yeah, while I took while I was taking a break, I I downloaded into a playlist all of our podcasts just to make sure I got the count right. This is indeed our fourteenth, including like the quickies and stuff like that. Um, does it does it also include the one that we did before the Last Jedi? Yeah, it includes every every time you've been on the Bizzlecast. It does not include my appearance on I Rebel, but it does include uh, all the times you've been on the Bizzlecast. This is our 14th. So the first one was before we even knew the Lorecast and before I started referring to Jedi Geek Girl um, accurately as the Lore Master. Um, the second was our Ahsoka Lives podcast, which was definitely like the turning point, both in terms of our relationship on uh, podcasting together and thinking of things as lore and as something that we wanted to do together. That was the first time we referred to it as the Lorecast, but we hadn't really put together official brand yet. Um, and, you know, I eventually developed theme music specifically for the Lorecast, and, and we came up with an idea for it. But guys, I am here to announce officially swlorecast.com, facebook.com slash swlorecast, twitter.com slash uh, uh, SW Lorecast or just at SW Lorecast on Twitter with a new logo, with new branding, that this is officially a thing that's going to include all of the podcasts I do with Jedi Geek Girl on Star Wars, which is 100% of the podcasts I do with Jedi Geek Girl, but also the specific weekly podcast that I will be dropping every Monday or Tuesday where we talk about these bigger picture topics in addition to our commentaries, news, reviews, and so forth. And so that's why this is the official launch of the Lorecast. And Jedi Geek Girl, I don't say this like but this is the first major series that I have produced and been a part of since I launched the Bizzlecast almost three and a half years ago. So I am pumped. Thank you. I know that you give a lot of credit to me, but there's a, a lot of credit goes to you. And speaking of credit, before we move any further, I would like to give a shout out to Brick Girl for an awesome and amazing well done logo. Yeah, yeah. Alistair and I joke, we don't like to give Brick Girl too much credit because she's so talented. We don't want to lose her to anybody else. But seriously, (laughs) though, Brick Girl, thank you. We love you. The Rebellion Builder logo is amazing. We'll get to that some other time. Uh, she turned around the the Star Wars Lorecast logo so quickly. She is well aware, Jedi Geek Girl, of my obsession with Jyn Erso and Rogue One, as all of my uh, podcast contributors and really friends are. Um, and I just want to explain really quickly, though, um, uh, this guy is officially going to be the Star Wars Lorecast Episode 3. And I decided to make uh, the episode a couple weeks ago that we did about Jedi Geek Girl's Rogue One quote-unquote rebirth episode, which Jedi Geek Girl, and again, I'm throwing it back at you with the praise, but I'm being totally honest, is one of my favorite episodes ever because of... I just felt like that was such a deep cut in which you got to take the lead on something I loved so much and bring such a fresh perspective. And you were the one who really pushed me in a positive way to, you know, not be ashamed to, you know, continue to embrace Jin and Rogue One as, as both an aesthetic theme, but also sort of a thematic theme that's part of our rebellion builder group. Um, and uh, of course, you know, with, with the aesthetics and the themes, uh, uh, and so forth uh, of the Star Wars l- lore cast. So, um, so some people might call that enabling, <laughs> like a bad habit. But uh, but yeah, I, I, 
I just wanted to, to thank you for that because I, I do draw so much inspiration um, from all that. And again, thank you, Brittany, for the, the Jin Urso uh, inspired um, uh, Lorecast logo. And the credit goes right back to you for helping me find that discovery of Rogue One again. I know that my name of my podcast is I Rebel, but I really didn't embrace too much of the Rogue One theme and stuff like that. But it was because of you that I went back and rewatched it and got to see the appeal of Rogue One and everything that it stands for that we can go ahead and put it into our respective brands and our brand, the Star Wars Lorecast. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what's so interesting is the way that you discover certain people is, is sometimes it seems in an offhand way, just to give a couple example, uh, relevant examples. So with, with Brick Girl, the way I found Brick Girl was when they announced they were doing a Batgirl movie last year, uh, initially Joss Whedon, who's my favorite director, was supposed to direct it. Um, he's not now, though it's, it seems like it's in good hands. And I just happened to run across her on YouTube doing a very excited review of it and about her love both for Batgirl and Whedon. And, and that's how we sort of connected. And then with you, it was I was into Destiny and discovering new Star Wars podcasts. And not just that you called your podcast I Rebel, but you know your, your great opening, which we've you know expanded on a bit sense but pretty much has the same feel of your initial i rebel um opening with with the gin or so i rebel stuff uh, you know i i i i i could immediately tell that even though i would later learn that you didn't you you, you like but didn't love the movie now you kind of love it more but um you know what i'm saying like there was i don't know i don't know what it was it was a combination of like all the things and then of course listening to your podcast that kind of drew me towards you and then you know like you we you just have to be brave sometimes when connecting with people especially over the internet it was weird as people can be that i would reach out and that you would reach back uh, again we're we're doing a lot of back padding in the first 10 minutes here but i i th- the, so far considering this is our 14th or 15th podcast depending how you want to count it in what like five six months or so just shows you that sometimes you need to need to take that leap and now we have our own brand our own website and our and, and everything it has been an absolutely a beautiful ride. It's been eight months since you and I first started podcasting together, and I'm having a, a blast, and I can't wait to dive into our topic for this episode. So part of what's going to make this episode great, guys, just to give you an outline, is we are about to jump back to 1999 because we are leading up towards celebration next year, which is the 20th anniversary of the Phantom Menace. And we're all expecting a ginormous celebration, um, of, uh, the Phantom Menace and the prequels and all things star Wars in Chicago, um, next year. And Jedi geek girl and I are going to hang out in person for the first time. And I'm going to meet some of her peeps and she's going to meet some of my peeps. It's going to be great. But as toxic as the fan atmosphere has gotten, since the last jedi and and i want to tease this because this will be our final talk because i do want to dive into talking about memory um uh, 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 the the idea of memory when when it comes to nostalgia and and specifically the prequels jaggy girl over the years is that okay so 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 I, i i let me just start with one big thought and then i'll give you sort of the final intro thought and then we'll dive into 1999 does that sound okay 
Sounds great. Okay. So I know you don't like to talk politics, and that's fine. I'm not going to make you talk any, but I know how you feel, and you feel like me that the country is not necessarily going in the right direction. There's negativity everywhere in this country in all the wrong places. Whatever your party, whatever your beliefs, we can agree that we're not necessarily headed in the right direction. But I do think ultimately, and maybe this is just my bizarre optimism, I think we are going to come out the stronger because of it. I think we're experiencing something similar in microcosm in Star Wars with all of the hatred uh, in Star Wars towards you know anyone who's not a quote-unquote old-school Star Wars fan, a.k.a. middle-aged you know white man, only like the original trilogy type Star Wars fan. This is going to come up in our prequel discussion. That's the whole point of this discussion. But Jedi Geek Girl, because of of so much positivity and diversity that's built up in the Star Wars community. It's actually progressing, in my opinion, towards the positive much faster in the Star Wars community than the wider American community. And that was sort of my inspiration for the Rebellion Builder Project, which I'm not going to talk about here, um, which is that Star Wars it isn't just based, you know, uh, uh, based on Lucas's own progressive vision going back many decades. It, it's not just a, a metaphor for progress and evolution and, and love and understanding and hope but it actually is a source of it for a lot of people and and the fact that that all of the negativity in the uh, the twitter sphere and the social media and so forth it's gone from seeming like a majority of voices to a minority of voices and i'm not going to call out any specific podcast by name force <coughs> radio um and uh, you know or, or or anything like that but people in my opinion, have really been rallying together. And I'm telling you, Jedi Geek Girl, as my final thought in the intro, and we'll get into the the prequels and, and how this is related to the whole thing, by the time Star Wars Celebration comes, if it goes at this pace, the unity, excitement, celebration, and positivity in Celebration less than a year from now, I think is going to be so off the charts it's going to feel like carnival in brazil or something like that i really do think so i think it's headed in a great direction i am really looking forward to celebration but i do want to step back in a little bit and say that it is my personal philosophy and this is not really relevant to politics but just life in general that life has to change and evolve you need to grow you need to try new things you gotta expand your audience and star wars is the prime example of that there are two or three times that you can probably name that star wars had to change and evolve the first time was with the prequel trilogy the next time you could say is the disney era or i would as i would like to say the sequel trilogy era and when that happens you always experience growing pain if you look at your real life listeners if you got involved with somebody and you got married and you had a children if you had a child you went through a growing pain to change and adapt to your life that's just how life works in order to grow and progress and to expand you need to try new things and star wars needs to do that and whenever that happens, you're going to have resistance. So tying back into our topic, the prequels is probably probably the first time that happened in fandom, and we can dive into that when we talk in when we dive into a, a topic proper. Absolutely, absolutely. And so, guys, we're going to jump back to 1999, but really quick, Jedi Geek Girl, just as an example of what you said, you know, and uh, I, 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 again. I, 
guys, I, 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 I don't like to repeat myself over and over again on the podcast, but I don't assume you've listened to any or maybe uh, or to all or even any of my podcasts in the past. So I will say, you know, along those lines today, Geek Girl, two things that have completely changed my life that started before I even have consciousness because I've been watching Star Wars since before I can remember. One is, of course, just my love of philosophy and history and religion and, you know, mysticism and all of these things was completely seeded by Star Wars, led to what I studied in college, what I studied in the graduate level, what I still do, uh, you know, practice and, you know, the, the force is still... Like, it's not my religion, but it informs the kind of mysticism and spirituality in my life to this day. But in a more important point, and let's jump into the Phantom Menace with this thought. Jay Gicker, what do I always say about Princess Leia growing up? I said that between my mother, who I love unbelievably dearly, and Princess Leia slash Carrie Fisher, from a young age, between those two women, I never honestly believed that women were less than men in my life. Now, I grew up in a liberal East Coast family where my parents were equal, where I was taught to treat everyone equally, but I never, between my mom and Princess Leia, I never believed that women couldn't be as good, and in many cases, even better than men um, because of those things. And I don't know what else to, uh, other than Star Wars can you know give you such two huge gifts like that before you're even aware enough to know what's going on. And so I just wanted to start this whole thing with, with, with some major positivity because I actually am feeling major positivity with the developments in, in the last couple weeks and, and people coming together. So I, I want to jump into the Phantom Menace, but if you want to respond to this, go ahead. All I want to say is Star Wars is a beautiful thing, and when you experience it growing up, it opens your eyes to many different things that you tr- hold true to your princess Leia. And for me, that was Padme in The Phantom Menace diving right into our topic. Okay. All right. So let me just introduce this. So the title, uh, the working title for this podcast is My Cat Tries to Jump on My Lap and dis- uh, d- Destroy My Mic. CC, please. Um, is the legacy and memory of the prequels. And Jay Geekro, you may be interested to know, well, you do know that my podcast before it was Abyssalcast was briefly called Cast, and there were these like quick hit Star Wars like philosophical ramblings I did on my iPhone, basically. But the very first one I did, literally the very first one, uh, was about memory in Star Wars and about the way that our memories actually change based on the way our lives change and based on new developments. And so people, it, this happens in all facets of life, but especially with something as heavy with nostalgia and memory as Star Wars, you know, you are, and this is proven in psychology that our memories actually change and we remember things very differently. Some people tend to remember the good times. Some people tend to remember the bad times. Sometimes it's, you know, case by case and so forth. So I'm calling this legacy in the memory of the prequels because my personal relationship, as you all know, has changed a lot over the years. And we're about to hit the 20th anniversary uh, with celebration next year of the Phantom Menace. And so it's time to look back at the prequel trilogy. And so we're going to talk about what our initial experience of those movies were like, how our views of them, you know, uh, change with each new release, um, you know, if and how our views of those movies changed between uh, uh, the Revenge of the Sith in, in 2005 and the Disney or new, or new sequel era, as Jake called it. 
in 2012, 2014, 2015, depending on what you know date you want to point on things actually changing. And then, of course, how the new movies and new developments, both in and out of the movies, have changed our views of the prequels. So I've been doing a lot of the, the talking here, Jay Geek Girl. So I want to throw it back to you uh, about 1999. What can you remember about initially seeing The Phantom Menace um, and uh, it, it, with the movie and then also with the, with the reaction either of friends or family or people you knew or just in general around you in, in 99? I saw the movie with my grandmother. There wasn't that much anticipation because I was younger. I was I was not even a preteen. The anticipation of it. I knew that a new Star Wars movie was out, and like what I mentioned in the Phantom Menace comment, for me there was never a period of time with a Star Wars film. At that point in time, I was a Star Wars fan about roughly two to three years. So for me, Star Wars was always there, and it's like, oh hey, there's a new Star Wars movie, and I went and saw it. It was so long ago that I can't really remember a lot of it, but I remember that okay, it was like. It was, I don't want to say it was another movie for me because it wasn't, but at that point in time, episode one was like its own thing, and it was a period in my life where I was focusing on other things. I do remember, I do remember enjoying it. I do remember liking it, but I don't remember getting obsessed with it because at that point in time, episode one was like its own thing. I don't know if our listeners or you can remember it, but when episode one came out, it, you had the original trilogy, and for those, not me, but you had the expanded universe, and you had this image, and then you had episode one, which was kind of like its own thing. It was kind of like this, it was kind of awkward uh, until episode two came, and then episode three, it kind of put the puzzle together, but it kind of like stood out on its own, so... Yeah, it, it was kind of like a weird case. I don't, I don't have the nostalgic for it due to my age that I do for episode two and to a degree episode three. But yeah, it's just, it's kind of funny because it was such a landmark film that there isn't that many strong memories tied to it. But it's definitely a film that I have probably grown the most in of the three. All right, so let me ask you some specific questions. So I, I believe I remember you saying that you, you had only really gotten into Star Wars like two or three years before The Phantom Menace? Yes. So um, so if you... You know what? Let me, let me, let me start with a, an off-the-wall question to start. <clears throat> if, if Jedi Geek Girl today, 2018, could go back in time, Doctor Who style... By the way, did you see the new Doctor Who teaser trailer? Oh, did I see it? Did you not see me tweet it out? I mean, oh my god, I can't wait. And you know, you're gonna have to buy me those new box sets because she I want them on my shelf. It's only so cute. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, she's adorable. She is so. She's like the way David Tennant is kind of cute, and you know, like she, she's she's perfect casting. And I'm not even a giant Doctor Who fan. I, I know David Tennant. I've seen a couple of the Peter Capaldi. I've seen some of them. Uh, I'm so pumped, um, but uh, but Doctor Who style, you go back in the TARDIS and you non creepily sidle up to your old self, and she doesn't recognize you, and you start talking with her, and you could give her one piece of advice or tell her one thing before going into seeing the Phantom Menace. What would you have told her? Seeing the Phantom Menace will open a door that if you decide to go through it will expand your universe, no pun intended, if you let it. 
uh, because one of my deepest regrets, and I don't want to draw on it too much, is I'm listening to people talk about the expanded universe and diving into that series, and I never really did. I never got to experience that. Well, I did ex experience the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones. I got caught up in other fandoms. I got caught up in other shows and franchises Harry that Potter. I wish I could. No, 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 not Harry Potter. I did well, get what? into Lord of the Rings a little bit. But, yeah, what? Um, but um, Buffy is another one. Yes. But it was such a... It is such a unique experience and fandom mm -hmm. that now I am discovering it. And I'm diving into everything Star Wars. Mm -hmm. I wish I could have done it before. Mm -hmm. I wish that I would have... Mm -hmm. How do I put that? Put it. Um, hit that. I hit it, you know, a little bit. A little bit harder. And really dive in. Because Star Wars is awesome. Star Wars is amazing. And there's just so much to experience. And for a lot of people, it started with the Phantom Menace. Even though they saw the original trilogy. And I wish I would have... I wish I would have let it stop my fandom like the the force awakens did so you know what let's keep riding this train I, I i'd rather keep your memory keep jogging those memories because i, I you know and i'll i'll jump in and i'll give my own my own train here because we were we're not so i'm older than jaggy girl guys spoiler alert but 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 jaggy girl of women who are younger than me who are massive star wars fans who love the prequels you aren't as young as some of the women that we know and listen to online on podcasts who are like in their mid twenties, who are like really little kids, like super little. I mean, you're talking about watching Buffy. Those girls were not watching Buffy. Um, and so that's so interesting to me because you weren't a fully developed teen. Like I was 17 at that point, but you weren't a little kid either. So that's a really interesting perspective. So I, do you mind if we just keep writing the, 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 between the movies here with you? Because I'm, I'm very curious, which is, do you remember anything between the Phantom Menace and then attack of the clones happening before I ask you about attack of the clones? I do actually, but before I do, I want to yeah. say that, before I saw The Phantom Menace, I was obviously watching a lot of the Star Wars films, and I dived into a little bit of the Spanish universe. I remember really getting getting caught up in Shadows of the Empire and stuff like that. But after The Phantom Menace, I remember getting into like the Jedi Apprentice book. I remember... I think I think I read the Shadow of the Empire book later. I remember it was, a, but it was always like a passive fandom. It wasn't that active, and it wasn't until the build up to the Attack of the Clones where I hit my peak for that fandom. That year, two thousand two, really stuck with me. That's probably my most nostalgic film, and that was the year that I decided to have a little Star Wars collection. But you know, I was a younger teenager. I didn't have that money, but I had like all like some books and stuff like that, and games and in a timeline order and i was going to dive into it but i never really pursued it but i remember really being into star wars at that point in time and i guess that would what well, that probably would have been the deepest that i would have been into star wars um post phantom menace um pre the force awakens and I think it's really cool that the outside materials were part of your Star Wars experience almost from the beginning, it sounds like, because that was not mine at all. I mean, I read the Thrawn trilogy. I played the Star Wars LucasArts games, but, the, you know, there was no notion of, like, canon in the late 80s, early 90s in the way there is now. 
Um, and so I, it was always just like an experience that was Star Wars. It wasn't like a major part. And I'm still this way, you know me. I mean, Rebels really started to change me for the good. But in, for the most part, in gen- you know me, forget Star Wars. I'm a movie guy, you know. I like I love reading books. I like reading some comic books sometimes. I like watching some TV sometimes. I'm generally a movie guy. And again, guys, another thing Star Wars gave me was being able to get life-changing experiences in two hours. And now people have to watch eight uh, seasons of a TV show to get an experience. That's great. I'm still a movie guy. But I think it's cool if I'm because uh, you're talking about uh, uh, Shadows of the Empire or whatever, that the, the, the stuff outside the movies w- was equally in influential to you as this was all going on it was and one of the things that i really dived into was the video games at that point in time those really stuck out to me i did read read like a couple of the books and another thing that i hope that we can dive into later in a future lore cast episode is the clone wars not the clone wars clone wars series the 2003-2005 series because that, that was the first time at least for me because you gotta remember in the early arts you that I don't think Ewoks and Droids were available. I think you could find them by VHS, but I don't think they were released on DVD. So I you had the universe. But I wasn't into reading at that point in time, so there wasn't too much for me to sink my teeth into. And that was before mm-hmm. the DVD box set. That's, mm-hmm. that's right. We still had the VHSs, but yep. we didn't have the DVDs. But anyways, yep. when the Clone Wars came out, that was another way to experience Star Wars in a visual medium that really... But that was post-Attack of the Clones. It was. It was. Um, So maybe we should just dive into Attack of the Clones. All right. So 2002 comes around. You've seen Phantom Menace. You've probably seen it on VHS or DVD or whatever. Some more at that point. You're still watching the original trilogy. You're reading stuff. Maybe comic books, toys. I don't know what you got going on. But you're, you're engaged. Would you say you were still engaged strongly with Star Wars by the time AOTC in 2002? It's really hard to you know, picture that because that was so long ago. I remember being... But was your memory less specifically... Sorry. Was your less specifically, when you went into Attack of the Clones, were you excited as like a quote-unquote Star Wars fan at that point? Oh, yeah. I saw it opening day at noon. Oh, wow. I I, I remember actually being kind of surprised. I think it was opening weekend. It, it could have been during that opening weekend, but I know that it was within the first week. I'm not really sure, but I remember being surprised that there was only like 10 people in line at, at noon, so maybe it was opening day. I was really surprised. I expected there to be a longer line. I expected there to be more hype for Attack of the Clones. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about the lack of hype, but let's talk about your specific memories of the experience. Yeah, I remember, like I said, pulling up at my because my grandmother took me to the theater, and I it was a rainy day that I remember, or it was cloudy or something like that, and we drove past, and like I said, there was like ten people in line because I wanted to get there early, um, so I was excited for it. I remember, you know, watching the trailers and you know wanting to see the film, and well, at the time being engaged in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And do you remember what your experience of it was like? I don't remember my reaction. I, I don't. I remember mm-hmm. that I really enjoyed the music. I had the CD that I still have to this day. I really loved the theme. I remember that I think I had the CD before I saw the film. I think we got that 
um, before I had to do some research. And I remember really being into uh, Across the Stars. It's amazing. And I remember the hype about the film, about how it was supposed to be a romance film with a touch of um, detective and stuff like that. I remember George Lucas hyping that. And I think I remember being disappointed. Like, that's what he meant by romance. That's what he meant by detective. Um, I remember really enjoying the the throwbacks, like the bar scene with Obi Wan and Django Fett. I and and another thing about Attack of the Clones is Attack of the Clones is the first film that gave me my first fan gap. Oh oh, go on. So a fan gasm is when you're watching something, reading something, or consuming something that pertains to a fictional franchise that you can really get excited about i would and have no moment, idea what that experience was like and that particular moment was when yoda after the duel between dooku anakin and obi-wan regardless of what you think of attack of the clone when you first saw that moment you're on the edge of your seat and you're just like you're paying attention and you're tense and then over you know they do the force back and forth, and I'm getting excited just talking about it. And then the scene, you know, it cuts to Yoda, and Dooku says, we should perhaps our skills with a lightsaber. And then you have that music, and you have that scene, and then you have Yoda put up his lightsaber, and you're like, oh, my. You're like, oh, my God. And, yeah, so it was a climax, so. I'm, I mean, I... <laughs> There's not a lot of hell yeahs I can give you about Attack of the Clones. I won't go into the commentary. You guys can listen to it. But I will say, after... Again, guys, this isn't hate. I, I, I hope I there's a point, Jake, girl, I have to stop making this preface. But I'm going to keep doing it because I, I don't want to hurt... I never want to shit on things people love. I can only give you my experience. I was horrified when I saw Attack of the Clones in the theater. Unlike the other two prequels, however... Uh, which I really, really, really like way more now than I used to. I still don't really like Attack of the Clones. But after sitting in my seat for over two hours squirming with my parents next to me, who I could tell were not entertained, even though they love most of the Star Wars movies, and that might have been part of the problem with the experience, I actually love the Yoda fight and what you just described. I, that, that actually left me feeling... It's cheese, and here's the thing. Across the Stars is such a brilliant podcast. Um, podcast. It's such a brilliant uh, composition that I actually didn't mind the wedding scene at the end because that was actually the least cheesy of the romance of the whole thing. And when you added the final fight and then the Across the Stars playing at the end, I was I was actually left. I remember leaving the theater being like, I didn't really like that movie, but that last little bit I, was okay. I actually thinking here. I'm sitting here and thinking about it. I did enjoy it for what it was, but I do remember being subtly disappointed just by the sole fact of the climax because Dooku gets away and you're like, what? That's it? And you're looking forward because when you're younger, one of your most favorite things about Star Wars is the lightsaber fight. Sure. And then you get to the end and yes, you had the Yoda thing, which was awesome it was amazing but compared to the other four films that came before oh yeah it was it, it was disappointing it was short it was it was like what you know he gets away when anakin's fighting dooku they're close up and angled and stuff like that and you're like pull the camera away yeah um it was you know what it was it was the inverse of the rogue one build up the rogue one speaking of fangasms and gingasms as uh, which you should trademark by the way um 
Rogue One builds and builds. I, I have described Rogue One as a cinematic sexual experience. If you just watch the way it builds and builds and builds towards a giant number of amazing climaxes. Um, for those of you out there who are old enough to have experienced sex, um, this what I was describe what you were describing that what I was talking about with Yoda. It was it was like two hours of pain, and it was like it was almost like getting a shot of morphine after after that. You know, it was like it was like okay, at least I could hang my hat on this coolness with Yoda that I never expected to see that actually looked pretty good at the time and still looks pretty good. And then the amazing across the stars music. Uh, it actually, I owned all of the soundtracks. I, I don't think I've ever actually like own owned like the full on. Um, uh, prequel movies, but I've owned and listened to the soundtracks from the beginning. John Williams, this is as good a place as any Jaggy Curl. There's someone that's been consistent through nine saga movies. It's John fucking Williams. It's absolutely amazing. He is the maestro indeed. Yeah, I mean, Lucas has said, Lucas has said, there was a lot of important players. I mean, Lucas has basically said John Williams is as important as me, and especially in the original movies, if not more important. But moving into post-Attack of the Clones, if we may a, li- a little no, bit. No, 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 we may, we may, we may. But what I'm saying is the power of Star Wars is that I can really dislike something that I thought I loved for the whole movie, but then still come out with somewhat decent vibes given the situation because of Yoda and John Williams. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just a perfect example of all the weapons that Star Wars has. And sometimes they don't fire. Sometimes you fire and you pull out your Han, Chewie, and Lando blaster and it misfires for whatever reason. But you know what I mean? Sometimes you throw in across the stars and it makes a love story that's totally unbelievable uh, in terms of the chemistry and the writing. It, it, it increases it greatly because of the music. And I think, you know, we're not going to bring in the Clone Wars here or maybe a bit later, but I, I do think that, the, you know, I think that the positive thing I was able to bring out of my Attack of the Clones commentary, which you listened to and we've dialogued about, is that it added a lot of really cool building blocks to the picture that were then explored outside the movies and video games and comic books and books and cartoons and then the full-on Clone Wars, etc. And right, There was some great world-building that went on Attack of the Clones, even if people like me could not or would not want to recognize it at the time. Oh, totally. There was, yes. That's important. That's important. It it's the same way I know the people who claim they hate every last minute of The Last Jedi, whether it's episode nine or an Orion Johnson four years from now, we're just going to look back and be like, you know what? The Last Jedi actually did amazing world building. You know, it's, it's, it's just acknowledging how important that is to Star Wars and, you know, and, and it's happening in, in all of the movies. So you saw Attack of the Clones. Okay. So as we move through, there's the early Clone Wars series which I want to ask you about, which I've still never seen, and then Revenge of the Sith, and then shortly thereafter, The Clone Wars. I don't want to rush you through, um, but I, I do want to get us to the point where your memories are a little bit less hazy, like when you really remember 
consuming the stuff in a way that, if not the same level as today, was leading towards that trajectory. Because for me, Jedi Geek Girl, that didn't happen until the lead up to The Force Awakens, honestly. So you, you've been, you know, you've been riding this train longer than me. Um, and that's why I'm, I'm so fascinated by it. I mean, I was riding it in the 80s and 90s, but, you know, not since 2005. As I previously mentioned, after I saw Attack of the Clones, that was really when I was really deep into the Star Wars fandom that I really didn't get involved with at the same height since before The Phantom Menace, which is kind of weird. You'd think after seeing a Star Wars film, you would be dive into it, but it wasn't really that case, but it was that case with Attack of the Clones. I remember that first six months to a year really diving in. That's when I created my timeline. That's when I played a majority of the games. That's when I tried to read the book series, of course, I read the wrong book because I read the last book in the New Jedi Order instead of, like, working my way through it. But anyways, at that point in time, I was more active into the fandom, but I was still kind of passive. And on the road to Clone Wars, it was a fandom that was on my side and I was experiencing. But before the, we got to Revenge of the Sith, I was basically keeping up with Star Wars through the video games. And, of course, we had the DVD releases, too. Because 2004, we got the releases of the original trilogy, and that was amazing because at that point in time, which is kind of ironic because I was a teenager at that point in time, that was my childhood. And being able to have that on DVD was such an exciting thing. So that, so basically, between Attack of Clones and Revenge of the Sith, it was, you know, keep things just small things, you know, kind of like, pick up my interest in the fandom and keep me active in it but it wasn't until the trailer of revenge of the sith where i was like i think going into revenge of the sith uh that was when i was the most excited because we were going to see the conclusion of the prequel trilogy this was going to be the last at the time star wars film and i was old enough to really appreciate it and it was actually the film that through my anticipation for it, I was able to go see it and I the first time on midnight opening of Wait for which I'm sorry, I missed that midnight opening for Revenge of the Sith. Oh, oh, interesting. Okay. Okay, so you know, it's hard it, <laughs> unless you've an amazing memory or you like keep a you know, a journal or whatever, but what 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 evolved and changed in those three years between those two movies? Was it Attack of the Clones specifically? Was it the two movies sinking in with the originals, outside material? I mean, you've been talking about it, but if you could put your finger on, like, the catalyst, um, maybe you can't. Maybe it's just a conglomeration of things. Can you clarify catalyst for what? You know, what what... You know what made it so that your 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 memory is that it was during Attack of the Clones and like was it Padme? You know, was it was it the Force? Was it just the storytelling? Like, what started really speaking to you? Are you talking about in Star Wars in general, or about what like really attracted me to Revenge of the Sith? In Star Wars in general, that got you pumped enough to want to do and actually see Midnight showing of Revenge of the Sith. I think it was because it was accumulation of events, like going up with the prequel trilogy. The prequel trilogy was my Star Wars, and experiencing the film one at a time, 
you grow with it. Even if you don't really connect with the Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones thing, it left me a little disappointed. It was still an evolution of characters that we have seen. Being able to see that conclusion and seeing the end of, at the time, what we thought was going to be Star Wars in general, at least on the film, it was like a climax that you wanted to make sure that you could experience. I think what motivated me to want to see it at the midnight showing was the fact that this was going to be quote-unquote the end, and this was going to be accumulation of characters, and a Star Wars film, for the most part, outside of maybe a couple things, has always been an event, and... At that point in time, I was old enough to really appreciate it and do other things and being a fan of it, growing with it. I'm like, okay, I want to experience it. I want to be there because this is a must-see thing. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to try and uh, light the fire to spark the uh, journey straight through revenge of the sith and in, in into beyond um because that's ultimately where i want to get going as we talk about the memory and legacy of the prequels because again i experienced the prequels as basically an adult from beginning to end right so it's just i'm just trying to understand if some of these questions are a little weird and and nebulous it's because we're of slightly different generations i'm just trying to understand that experience and 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 my head also playing back like what that would have been like for me to see it at 12 or 11 or 10 rather than 17 or whatever um but i will say jedi geek girl you are a huge fan of revenge of the sith i am yes you know i think the stereotype is that men like revenge of the sith more than the women because let's be honest it doesn't do padme any favors and there aren't exactly a lot of other female characters in that movie even more than usual no it doesn't and there are some cringeworthy moments even with great moments and it's just too dark for some people you know they don't want their star wars that dark and again i think people who there's a correlation with just like Revenge of the Sith and Last Jedi. No question. I mean, Ryan Johnson was, I don't want to get into a huge discussion. Ryan Johnson took great stuff from Revenge of the Sith, clearly in The Last Jedi. And the t- there were a lot of similar tones and plot shifts and stuff like that. I think there's definitely a correlation that's just too dark for people in, uh, in Star Wars. But I will say, I will say, and this is again going back to my positivity at the beginning, which is, so guys, so there's a ton of amazing Star Wars podcasts out there. If you just follow follow us online and you'll discover all of them, but occasionally I'll mention one. One of the bigger ones is sort of a conglomeration podcast called Unmistakably Star Wars. I don't really listen to a lot of their stuff, uh, even though I like their topics and so forth and a lot of the people that are involved in it, but they do have the Podme podcast, which is just a miniseries that was four or five long. Um, about the character of Padme and how shit on Natalie Portman and Padme have gotten over the years for the prequels, not only unnecessarily, but like rudely and unfairly and inaccurately. And just like most things, Jedi Geek Girl, with time, people are appreciating it. And now there's Natalie fever, there's Padme fever. And if she does, oh, oh, here's, here's your, um, obligatory, uh, make the prediction every podcast. Speaking of Padme and Natalie Portman. 
Oh yeah, definitely. My, my like I previously mentioned in a couple episodes, and I think maybe every episode since then, mm-hmm. it is my prediction that with how things are going right now in Star Wars and the Star Wars fandom and social media, that we are going to see the return of Natalie Portman to Star Wars via Celebration, like we saw the return of Hayden Christensen at last year's Celebration, or two years Celebration, two years, yeah, two years ago. No. Last year. I think it's interesting, Jaggy Curl, that in the two years or less leading up to this celebration, uh, and if you don't think Kathleen Kennedy thinks two years ahead, guys, you're an idiot. Kathleen Kennedy, my guess, one of her main goals was to get Natalie Portman back into the fold. She has produced Kathleen Kennedy, some of the biggest Spielberg and other Hollywood best films ever, and respects amazing talent like Natalie and strong women. Obviously, in Star Wars, the, you know, the main anti-social justice warrior complaint other than minorities is too much women in Star Wars under Kathleen Kennedy. Um, I think she's been trying to get... But it's interesting, all the Padme in Forces of Destiny. And now there's a new Thrawn book coming out, which is promoting Padme seemingly more than Thrawn or Anakin, and we're both in the book, uh, is not a coincidence. I think they're putting on the hard sell you sold me on this idea very quickly once you you changed my mind in about three days and now I'm, I'm totally on board that if it doesn't happen it'll be for some like technical reason i, I think I, I think the star wars fandom again with the p- type of people who will actually go to celebration and embrace it and not get kicked out they want natalie portman and hopefully that'll be enough to get her there because padme is a very underappreciated character so i'm listening to the padme podcast and i'm listening to you know, they have a rotating group of young women podcasters. Uh, but they're probably mostly in their mid-20s. And I hadn't listened to their one about Padme and Revenge of the Sith. And honestly, even though they grew up even more than you as like little kids with the prequels and they love Padme, are completely able to acknowledge the flaws and the things they don't like about the prequels. And, and so to just to get the wider discussion going, I do want to talk about your Revenge of the Sith experience. I think one of the biggest fallacies is that you're either pro-prequels or anti-prequels. I think it's either you have a complex, nuanced, you know, uh, understanding and feelings about the prequels, and you're just totally irrational. I think that's the actual split, not about whether you like them or not. I would argue there are people who don't like the prequels much, I would sort of put myself in this category, who are way more aligned with the prequel lovers than the prequel haters. It's not even close, you know? Um, and I, I don't know if you want to bring this into your discussion of seeing Revenge of the Sith and then moving forward, but you've talked a lot about it feeling so discriminated against about loving or liking the prequels in the past that it's like caused you, you know, problems and just being able to open up about, about it more recently. Am I way off base here? I wouldn't use the word discrimination. I would more use the word ashamed. I think that goes back to a class Attack the Clones because at that point in time, another trilogy was coming out at that point in time, a better trilogy. Yeah. And I love Star Wars so much. I was, I want, don't want to use the phrase a huge Star Wars fan, but it was always close to my heart at that point in time. And when people were talking about their favorite trilogies, or there was actually another trilogy too, so there was two other trilogies going on at that point in time. Mm. Um, And I was like, I love Star Wars. I want to say it's the best trilogy, but I have Attack of the Clones. I can't say that. I I wanted to be like, hey, I love Star Wars. I want to go read the books. I want to play video games. I want to, you know, dive into that world. But 
the prequels suck. That was the common narrative at that point in time. And I think that kind of put a sub subconsciously that kind of put a shame into me where I didn't. I think if the prequels had a little bit more positivity, I think I would have dived a little bit deeper. But because I felt ashamed for being a Star Wars fan, that I really never dived into it because, hey, you're a Star Wars fan. You know, the prequels suck. Um, you know, and then you feel ashamed for it. Uh, when that happens when you grow up, you very easily feel ashamed. So I kind of like, I hit that fandom and I never really dive into it because it wasn't popular. By the way, out there, people... If you shame people for anything other than like hateful things like I love guns or I love Nazis, if you shame people for like movies and books and cultural things they love, you are not living your life the wrong way. You need to stop, take a step back, and reevaluate things. Because, Jagged Girl, I did not like the prequels. It's taken me a long time to come around, though they'll never come around on Attack of the Clones. But I never was an active hater or hated or would go after. I mean, I, let's, here's the thing. I, up until fairly recently with the web community, I've known so few major Star Wars fans that if they liked the prequels, I was stoked, you know, let's say 10 years ago or something, you know, just to talk with someone who loves Star Wars. So I don't understand that. But I also, honestly, I, I, I don't want to pat myself on the back because it's been a long process, but my response to the prequels was not, and this is what I don't understand about the sequels are perfect, prequels are shit people, is the prequels were more made directly by George Lucas than the original movies were. Um, that's a fact. He wrote and directed them all. He only did that one out of three in the original Star Wars movies. So mm-hmm. my when I walked out of Revenge of the Sith... And I was like, that was actually better than I was expecting. Oh, those are cheesy ends and the, and the Natalie Portman stuff. At that point, I really liked Natalie Portman. And I was offended by not only putting her in a refrigerator, but how shamelessly they disempowered her, made her dumb, had no agency, die of a broken heart. I mean, George Lucas just shat all over Natalie Portman in that movie. I am sorry. So No, she, she, she. He, he totally did. I agree with you 100%. And yeah. I think this is evident if yeah. you go back... And, and that's what they're talking the about the Podme... I'm sorry, I, I just have to tie this together so I don't... To, so it's only rambling. I'll throw it to you. That's what they're talking about in the Podme podcast was that a lot of them actually loved Revenge of the Sith, but they also are very uncomfortable with it because they love Padme. And she was she was more ill-treated than maybe any other major Star Wars character in any movie ever. No, she totally was. And I think it really sucked because... It's not like George Lucas didn't have a good idea for her. If you go back and if you look at the deleted scenes of the Revenge of the Sith, uh, Padme was actually supposed to be a very active reason of the rebellion. She was supposed to be at the center of the organization of it, along with Bale and Mon Mothma. But those scenes were cut and her character suffered because of it in the film, which really sucks because if you put those deleted scenes in, you can see that Padme was a very important character and you mm-hmm. can see the conflict between Anakin and Padme goes beyond what you just see. You see it is a political idea. You see Padme challenging Palpatine being the face of a subcommittee opposing Chancellor Palpatine being like, hey, he has he had had power way too long. There is something suspicious here. And her being the face of that and being a conflict with Anakin because, you know, Anakin was Palpatine's boy. You know, he was the guy that he looked up to. And you see that little bit of conflict, but you don't get that in the actual theatrical release. I mean, 
you know the i think it's in the most recent season of forces of destiny it might have been season two um because the seasons aren't so specific where her anakin and padme uh, i'm sorry where ahsoka anakin and padme go on a mission together so okay so i'm sorry i have to bring in ahsoka so you you know when you watch the clone wars it's obvious ahsoka must know what's going on with padme and anakin right but they never talk Mm -hmm. about it and they dealt with it in a two minute long force of destiny episode in such a mature way that's supposedly for little girls where she just observes the way the two of them act around each other when they think they're gonna die and then her and padme have a little like i'm using this in a positive way like as a dude they have like a bro moment at the end you know what i mean where ahsoka's just like it's all it's all good girl basically you know i mean if they can accomplish that in a two minute long 2d animated cartoon supposedly for little kids i don't know what they couldn't accomplish a tenth of that in two and a half hours of padme in revenge of the sith which was supposed to come like directly after that and i think the prequel i was getting to about myself is the prequel hate came because people couldn't understand that george lucas could screw up in places his property so badly and so they started blaming everything else like the actors and like minorities and women that's where it all stems from and you know and the hate of hayden and the hate of natalie and the hate of ahmed best who played jar jar who admitted recently he's going to commit suicide because of what that hate did to his career which is so disgusting but especially for star wars is so disgusting not 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 only here i have to touch upon this but not only him but jake lloyd and jake lloyd is a perfectly capable adult adult he's responsible for his own actions that's even worse because he was a kid at the time yeah exactly he absolutely hate star wars and there's probably a good portion of the response that he got from fans that drove him to be where he is right now obviously he's an adult and he's responsible for his action but when you're a child and you experience all that if a fully grown adult was thinking about committing suicide how does that affect a a kid who pants had to move uh, a year or two after the release of the Phantom Menace because they were receiving threats from fans. Right, right, right. So, but who's the who's the, who who's the grandmaster? It's George Lucas, the guy you're worshiping, and so you're blaming a kid for ruining the thing that this man designed, and he's responsible for ruining the thing. But you blame the kid and not the old white guy with the money and the camera. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So, Jay Geek Girl. Between the maybe 1999, honestly, I, I want to say 2005, from 1999 until 2014 or 2015, I don't know if I watched the Star Wars trilogy all the way through once. And I had seen it dozens of times, at least before 1999. My point being, not that I hated the prequels, but that I... Sorry, guys, I questioned the big picture thing, which was maybe George Lucas isn't such a god after all, or maybe the original movies aren't so perfect after all. And you know what? If the original movies aren't so perfect, maybe I need to take a break from them for a while. And I honestly credit my 10 to 15 year break from Star Wars is me being 
uh, responsible for me being able to come back so passionately with the new movies and revisiting the old stuff and having perspective on it. But those th- people couldn't stop watching those same three movies over and over and over again. By the way, George Lucas also produced all the Ewok cartoons and holiday specials and so forth. So uh, are you, who are you going to blame for that? At that point in time, like I was talking about, at that point in time, I was still ashamed of being a Star Wars fan. Like, I couldn't like the prequels because, oh, you're supposed to hate the prequels. So I think that affected my How was that expressed? Just to give us, you don't have to like name names, but like, how was the shame expressed? Because you're not someone to just like start talking. I mean, you you know, you're a very thoughtful person uh, in terms of how you conduct yourself. You're not someone to just like insert yourself in the conversation and be like, hey guys, so how about the prequels? Pretty great, huh? You know what I mean? Like, so how how did that express itself, that shame? Because it's it's disgusting, but it's also, it's kind of fascinating. Well, culturally, there's a lot of passive, there was a lot of passive aggressive. There still is. Like, if you, yeah, there's a conversation, and we could be talking about Spanish or something like that. And then there's a passive-aggressive stab at the prequels, and you're like, "What is this? To- what does this have to do with Spanish or whatever?" And if you liked it, you were immediately, you know, you were told, "Hey, you know, that sucks. You shouldn't like it," and stuff like that. It's like, at one, who one was of the telling things- you this? In what forums was this online? Where I, I, I don't. We, we only know each other from the last year or so. Like, where where were the four... Because, again, I come Hopefully. across so... And honestly, my real-life Jedi Geek girl, since I was a kid, okay? Even people like Simi, who I went to camp with, but we didn't know... We didn't talk about Star Wars because it was 1999 and we were a teenager. Like, I, I just... I haven't come across that many major Star Wars fans in my life, in real life, where I could even experience such shame. So, wh- where were you being exposed to it? culturally like you see it in pop culture you had oh, documentary. so you're reading articles and and stuff like okay I you, get you, you I had form and stuff like that and then again like i was talking about you have a conversation with somebody and then there's a passive aggressive step that has okay. nothing to do with what you're talking about because people and this is relevant in real life too because there'll be pumped you go to a facebook group and social media is icky but anyways you're like if you go to a doctor who forum and they're talking about doctor who and all of a sudden somebody feels the need to take a passive aggressive step at the last job and you're like what wh- where's the correlation why 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 are you saying this you're just basically trying to find a reason to state that you don't like something and when it has no relevance and pop culture at that point in the time you had a lot of that when it came to the prequel trilogy and of course you have to have a thick skin and not take everything seriously but when you love something that is relevant defensively because Padme was awesome and I respected her and she was awesome and growing up and stuff like that but when somebody says she was awful she's the reason why the prequel trilogy wasn't good you'd be like but I she she helped inspire me and stuff like that and stuff like that. But I think culturally, mm-hmm. the two most relevant points is the um, number one is the People versus George Lucas documentary, and number two the Red Letter Media Clinket reviews. I think I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna go neutral here. I think. We all need to not care what other people think about things so much. And this goes on all sides. Oh, I agree 100%. It wasn't until recently that I'm like, because that happened. As you get older, you care less about what other people think. 
once I reach that point in my life, I would be like, hey, screw you. I like the prequels. I don't care what you think. I don't care if they're not your Star Wars. They're mine. I love them. They have flaws. I acknowledge them. We can do a whole podcast, but you know what? I love them, and I'm going to express my love. I'm going to have them up. I'm going to watch them because I find joy out of them, and my joy is not defined by your joy. And like I said, yes, we have to not care, but for some people, you have to get to that point. And unfortunately, I'm a little slow in that retrospective, Um, but I'm here now, and you know, I know what I like. And it's not defined by other people. So, um, so uh, you and I both took uh, just to light in the moon for a second. We took a little fun StarWars.com quiz today about which was it. Which Rogue One character you, would you be? Yes. I ended up being Chirrut, which I swear I was. I was going for Jen, and of course I'm true because I'm the fucking philosopher. And you're definitely K2SO. I mean. He, you know, he's. It's, it's. I know. You know what I mean. Like it. That's a perfect fit. I mean, you're smart. You're capable. You're strong. You're sarcastic. You know, like you don't understand people because they're act, like you're the droid that understand. People are confused about how dumb people are acting. It's great. It's it's perfect. Although you are very gen too. I th- we both are. But I did end up with Chirrut without trying. But I will say one of the questions had to do with like. How do you address conflict or an argument? And I, and I answered uh, truthfully. I just immediately start like resorting to sarcasm or like even like I don't. It wasn't like insulting the person, but like I don't go if in for a fight, but I will drop the line that maybe leads to the fight happening. I guess. So basically, you're saying I would be the first one to die. <laughs> <laughs> You'd also be most people's favorite character of the Rogue One crew, and like maybe the saddest mo- poem of the mu- movie, and the best droid. And I'm sorry, I'm saying it, best droid in all the Star Wars movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but anyways, my point was, my point was, you know, p- people have different ways of of dealing with conflict, and you know, I faced this with The Matrix Reloaded, like. I, when I left The Matrix Reloaded, people were, like, booing. I was like, that movie was awesome. And I, I didn't like the third Matrix movie a lot. I, I've come to, like, some of it. I still love Matrix Reloaded. And it made me ultimately go from really liking philosophy to wanting to study it and writing, like, college-level papers about it and the ideas in it and the philosophers. So I kind of faced it there. I definitely didn't have to face opposition about Lord of the Rings. And honestly, Jedi Geek Girl, the, the, the crazy thing about the Lord of the Rings... Uh, uh, Star Wars comparison is not only that it was much better liked, much better reviewed and received, and they spent way less money making something that looked arguably better, but that Star Wars is supposed to be great in the movies specifically, and this was a translation from a book that never should have worked in the movies, and I I, I don't think Peter Jackson was trying to stick it to George Lucas. I know PJ loves and worships the ground Lucas walks on, but it was hard to not make the comparison between the two movies. I think it's really interesting you brought that up. It didn't, let's put it this way, it didn't make the, 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 the possible failings of the prequels look any better to see the relative perfection in three years straight of the Lord of the Rings movies. I do want to touch upon, you brought up the Lord of the Rings again after I brought it up. I do want to touch upon. I wasn't going to, but time. you brought it oh. up and it was, it was a really interesting point. 
Right, but I do have a point I want to touch upon that. Yeah. In 2002, after seeing Attack of the Clones, I was really into Star Wars. I really loved it. I wanted to experience it more, but I couldn't connect with anybody to try to share that interest because there was a sense of disappointment or disappointment or a sense of, I don't like it. You know, they I mean, liked it the grossed original by far the least money of a Star Wars movie until Han Solo. Like, by far. But anyways... They were like, I like this. I like Star Wars. I like being a fan of Star Wars. I like. I want to experience more of it, but I can't find anybody to connect with because everybody at that point in time seemed like they were disassociated with Star Wars if it had nothing to do with the expanded universe mm. and uh, the original trilogy. So it's like, hey, I want to talk about Star Wars. And you're, you're like standing there and nobody's sitting there and holding a conversation with you. And then they're like, oh, what about Lord of the Rings? Who and are these people you're talking to? I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. I still want to know. Like the fact that you even had contact with people who are interested in Star Wars, I'm jealous of. Okay. So I I have this one friend in particular there we of go. mine okay. who, I, who I grew up with and the, he was a Star Wars fan. And it was that point in time, I was still, I wanted to talk about Star Wars, I wanted to dive into that world with him, but he's like, you know, he was so into Lord of the Rings at that point in time, and it was because of him that I really got into Lord of the Rings, and he explained it to me, and I became a Lord of the Rings fan, but it's like, I, I wanted to talk about, yeah, Lord of the Rings is awesome, but... I want I want to talk about Star Wars. I want to build a relationship with you centered around Star Wars because I love Star Wars. I want to talk about it. I want you know, you hear people talking about the original trilogy, growing up with it, and they talked about the movies with their friends. They used to talk about, hey, is is Darth Vader really Luke's father? There was none of that with the prequel trilogy. When I was talking to my friend, and I'm not going to name him, uh, there, there was none of that. There was no interest to talk about Star Wars. Well, we uh, knew yeah. at that point was part of the problem. But yeah, go ahead. But you, you know what I mean. Yeah. And and uh, he, he liked Star Wars, and he was a fan of Star Wars, and Lord of the Rings is awesome, don't get me wrong, but there, there was that disconnectivity there. But he, it didn't need... <laughs> three amazing movies to prove how awesome it was this is the thing jg curl can i make two very personal bizzle admissions on the podcast yeah go for it so as movies I, i'll always be more interested and love star wars more because i grew up on the book lord of the rings i actually read lord of the rings a little earlier than you're supposed to i read it in like fourth grade and had no idea what was going on but i had such an emotional experience that when i revisited it like maybe early high school i was like hooked for life i've probably read lord of the rings all the way through five times and twice that partially like sections and stuff honestly I did not really love and appreciate the Lord of the Rings movies until they came out on DVD and I could watch them over and over and over again um, and watch the commentaries and stuff. I really like them in the theaters. Part of it has to do with the movies itself, but part of it has to do with I couldn't shake the, fa- the thought that why couldn't this be the Star Wars movies? And This may be heresy for you guys who know me and know that Lord of the Rings is, in terms of a life experience, maybe more important than Star Wars in terms of the time I've spent on it and so forth. But I would trade those three Lord of the Rings movies for three spectacular Star Wars prequels any day of the week. Like I, I would make that sacrifice to Sauron and Saruman simultaneously. 
Oh, I will go even one further. I would go ahead and sacrifice those three films for a Head to the Empire trilogy, a Thrawn film franchise. That would have been awesome. But anyway, to continue my narrative here for a little bit. So I was trying to reach out and connect with it. Yes, I was experiencing video games and books and, you know, doing that. And then I'm like, well, what do you do when you're a child and you, you have a little network? You know, because you're not, you aren't not an adult at that point in time. I was still like a young teenager at that point in time. So I was still developing. Where do you go? The Internet. And when you go to the Internet, at that point in time, there was a, like a lot of form boards. There was a lot of, I wasn't into the expanded universe, there was a lot of negativity about it. Where now, yeah, you still have that even worse, but the, it, the, the internet is a lot more refined, and you're able to connect with a lot of positive people more than you were then. So you're like, okay, well, I you're, you're talking crap about something I would like to find out more about and really express my interest in, even if, you know, there was a sense of disappointment, but you couldn't, you couldn't because... You're not supposed to like it. I want to bring in a history lesson about the original trilogy at one point, but I'm, I'm going to save it for now. Um, about why I, I not only think, but I know why the 40s, 50s, 60-year-old white Star Wars f- fan men feel the way they do. It has totally to do with the decades of the 70s and 80s and what was going on in the world. I'm going to save that for now. So you said you had a friend and you experienced the internet. You know, again, like I said, I basically cut off myself from nerd culture, from post-Matrix prequel, Lord of the Rings, I guess 2005, when I graduated college. I just didn't have time. I entered the workforce. I was starting a music company. I had lots of other interests. I just, I was still like rereading Dune and stuff and I was watching fucking Firefly. That's the thing. So the thing was, at that point, we then started getting Firefly and Battlestar Galactica, which are not only the two greatest sci-fi TV shows ever, along with some of the Star Trek series, in my opinion, but are two of the greatest shows of all time. So I was getting my sci-fi fix. I was watching darker sci-fi like Children of Men, Natalie Portman, and V for Vendetta. I was re-watching the Matrix movies, you know? Like, I, I had other nerd interests to fill that gap, and there just wasn't enough goodness in the movies, in my view at that point, and positivity around them, and people who I knew who were interested in them to continue as watching, getting into dark anime, like Ghost in the Shell. Like, all these things are, are related, I guess. So... What happened between, you don't have to give us your life story, but between Revenge of the Sith, 2005, continuing negativity online and offline, and then The Clone Wars comes out. I don't know when you started even watching The Clone Wars, before the Disney sale in 2012. Like, where do you, in in your view, like, what happened to the prequels between 2005 and and 2012 in in culture, as you see it? I... Well, my personal experience, I was still into Star Wars, but basically it was like, okay, Revenge of the Sith came out and it was supposed basically, quote unquote, the end. There was a feeling that that was the end. And at that point in time, I still didn't really want to dive into the expansion universe because I was intimidated. But, you know, at that point in time, I was becoming an adult and I was trying to, I was worrying about real life. Hey, you know, you're an adult, you know. My my dad was, I don't want to get too personal, but my dad was, I was able to see my dad again because I was coming of age. And, you know, there was just so much going on that I wasn't able to really, you know, 
dive into my fandom and worry about it because I was worrying about these other things. And then when the Clone Wars came out, I was uh, in college, actually. And I remember I did watch the first episode and I watched it online because they had it online, I believe, the day after or like a week after. And I basically kept up with Star Wars for about like half of the season of the Clone Wars. And then I caught up on it via DVD, but then I stopped watching for the third season. So I kind of like real life got into the way. Um, because, you know, again, I don't want to get too personal, but I discovered relationships. I had to worry about, hey, how am I going to live? How, what am I going to do for employment? And I, I, I was never able to sit back and dive back in. But let's be honest. And again, this is a comment about the power of Star Wars, even in our personal lives. If the prequel movies had been even 80 or 90% the Lord of the Rings movies, it would not have been an in and out of your life at that point. And I certainly would not have given it up for 10 years. That is for goddamn sure. Oh, no. If, if they were better filmed, if they were better executed... In the reception. I definitely, yeah. Yeah, in the, in the reception, I definitely would have been into the franchise. And I think at that point in time, I would probably dive into the expanded universe because they would be like, okay, you like it, I love it, let's do it, let's explore it, let's go into it, but... And there was none of that. And I, I don't want to, you know, basically the theme of the, the prequel trilogy is mm-hmm. mispotential. Mm-hmm. And can I, can I, I just look- point something out real quick? Can I just point something out real quick? Go for it. So starting in 1999 with The Phantom Menace and growing throughout the, the prequel trilogy, the quote-unquote old-school original fanboys, the real fans continued to complain and pine for the old days. We love Han and Chewie and Lando and blah, 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 blah. And then a whole bunch of new movies come out and kill at the box office, get great reviews, and then they release the most fanboyish movie since Return of the Jedi in 83 in Han Solo, and nobody sees it. So what are we supposed to take from this? I mean, even Attack of the Clones made significantly more money than Han Solo. That is such a loaded it's not, uh, no, but, but, because But it just shows you, it just shows you to me what a minority they are. Or, and the, the, those people will never be pleased by anything. No, uh, you know, unfortunately, as you get older, you get more and more rigid, and eventually, yeah, like, man. music, like, music is probably the most that's the best example. You know, you are a fan of a band, you grew up, you love them, and then they release a new album, and you don't like it. You know, it's different. You know, you, you want the old stuff. All and my then, bands have died of drug overdoses and suicide, so I don't have to worry about it. And then, <laughs> Sorry, anyways... Then, anyways... It's true. Look at the grunge scene of the early 90s. Chris Cornell, Lane Staley, Kurt Cobain. It's pretty ugly. Then, anyways, you know, 10 years after they released that album that you did not like they decided to go on tour and guess what they're playing the hits and you go and see you see them live but you don't like it because it's not the, it's, it's the same thing but it's not the same thing you're like you know what's going on and you know that's the exact that's the exact same thing with, with the star wars fandom is that that happens in real life that you you know we get with rigid that's just a part of life and we this Han solo film was essential Star Wars film that people wanted since the eighties. That it's you know it's it's the it's the band going on mm-hmm. tour playing what you like, but mm-hmm. you don't like. Can it. I ask you? Can I ask you a direct question? 
Here, yeah, guys, ahead. this is the first like intense, per- like personal, deep one to one question in the lore cast. Okay, write write this down. If you had never heard my podcast or knew anything about me, and the first podcast you ever heard was my Attack of the Clones podcast, would that have changed anything? I think it would have because you know you have your first impression. Yes. Yeah. We get first impressions and we have lack of self-awareness. Like like some of the podcasters and or music and or movies that I, I come back to now, I did not love or even like on first viewing. The dip, the problem is, Jaggy Girl, is you people like us who are aware that we have these flaws and try and correct them by giving things multiple chances, you know, i.e. me with the prequels, i.e. you with Rogue One or whatever, but more so the people who lack all self-awareness that any of this could be being generated from their own limited minds as human beings, and it's always someone else's fault. Another thing I would like to say is that we tend to forget as fans and consumers that when a new product comes out for something that we love and adore, that it doesn't always revolve around us. Like, I grew up with Star Wars. You grew up with Star Wars. We love Star Wars. We love the sequel trilogy. We enjoy it. But while we do enjoy it, it's going to mean more to the generation below us and below them that, you know, it might not be a Star Wars. And but that's, that's generation sorry. of Star Wars. Sorry. And that is what we should be celebrating that you have a new generation and that is experiencing what my generation experienced with the prequel trilogy and the generation before experienced with the original trilogy. Regardless of the quality of the films, you're introducing people to something that you love and communicate with them and can bond with and but instead you drive it into yourself and no, it's me. It's all mine. I want that film because I want what it, no, it's it's about community. It's about bond. It's about passion. That's what fandom is supposed to be about. Uh huh. And wow, you got me going. Well, and it's also about discussion. You know, in the way that you and I have expanded each other's minds and us with other podcasters and people by just talking with other people who love this stuff, but we also respect their brains. You know what I mean? But I will say, Jedi Geek Girl. The the, the I don't know if I've said this directly in my podcast. And again, this being the first official lorecast. I have to do the Rogue One drinking game. The reason I ultimately put Rogue One at number one is because it made me feel like a five-year-old watching the original trilogy, and I didn't think that was possible as an old, as you know, as you talk about more rigid, more cynical, less self-aware, you know, less living in the moment. The fact that I could sit watching Rogue One and experience that, I never thought was possible. Um, you know, yeah. I do, I do want to say that I know exactly what that is because right now with Star Wars, I don't want to say I love everything, but it, I, I enjoy it and everything. But what people are experiencing with Star Wars, I have experienced with video games. I used to be such a gamer growing up. I remember, oh my God, you know, getting lost into a game and playing it Wind Waker. I used to be so into it. And as I got older, I played video games that I enjoyed, but I lost interest and they grew on, you know, they grow, they evolved, and it's the same music analogy. So what people are experiencing with Star Wars, I experienced with Star Wars, with video games. I'm not going to experience the first um, video game, the 
way that I experienced a, t uh, a link to the past. I'm not going to experience a video game the same way I did the first time I played Final Fantasy VII. I'm not going to get so absorbed into a game that I am going to play it for 36 hours straight and have it have the same feeling. Those moments are gone. Yes, I could Don't say that. Them. Don't say that. It happened to me with Rogue One and I never thought it possible in anything. Don't say that. It could still happen. But, 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 and I'm going to continue that thought, but while it's still gone, that doesn't mean it cannot happen. It might not happen the same way, and it might not happen how you expect it, but it is possible as long as you leave yourself open. If you close yourself, you're never going to get that. And that's yeah, why yeah. I like The Last Jedi, because once yes. I step back, and yes. be like, okay, you just killed love my... Love it. Just, just love it. Just openly love it. Who cares? Just love it. Right, but after I was able to get past that, and I sit back, and I took that child's perspective to The Last Jedi, and experienced the story not as mm -hmm. the ending of my childhood, but as a story, I was able to get into it and be like, wow, I really enjoyed this film, and I really enjoyed the story, and that helped me with liking Rogue One mm -hmm. as well. Can, can I bring up something really interesting listening to the Pabe podcast uh, 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 related to this that I think you'll find really cute and interesting is yeah. they talked about how they thought from a, a, a woman's perspective as a mother's perspective that there's actually more Padme in Luke and more Anakin in Leia, which I thought was a really cool perspective I hadn't really thought about. And me being a Leia person, you being a Luke person, I thought that was also really cool, you know? Um, it, like, it, it just points to the fact of, like, even with all the flaws of, of Padme and, and the, and the, critic, the criticism of Natalie Portman and the character and whatever over the years, people still love her. And the fact that she's mentioned three times in Bloodline, but is actually pretty well done, it's like some of the only Padme acknowledgement we've been we've gotten. And, and I, I I know here's the problem, Jag Geek Girl. Let's okay, so I'm not saying we're moving to the final section, but let's move to the bigger picture stuff here, which is Lucasfilm under Kathleen Kennedy has definitely definitely with Dave Filoni been trying to work in as much prequel stuff as possible including Jar Jar in the books and prequel characters, you know, in the movies and the cartoons, but they've had to tread carefully specifically for the reason that we've discussed with the hate of the prequels. They, Although they at this have. point, well, I'm sorry, one, one more real quick. At this point with forces of destiny and what's coming forward, I don't think they give a fuck. I think they realize who the fans are and we either love the prequels or we love the characters of the prequels. So just give it to us. They had to the filmmaking and the storytelling that I can see so far is that they're taking it slowly. They're not exactly putting everything else all at once. They're doing things in new content with the prequels, but they're not being over-reliant on it. I, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if using Padme as an example, you have Padme introduced back to the Star Wars fan post-Clone Wars through Forces of Destiny and you're teaming her with Ahsoka and now you have her in a Thrawn novel where she's not the main character, okay, and there's a rumor of a book coming out with her, and then you have Natalie, so you're seeing them taking it slow, you're seeing them taking the evolution, they did, did, my, it's my theory that it's Lucasfilm philosophy to bring everything, all these separate things of Star Wars back underneath one umbrella, It'd be like, you like, you know, this, you like that. It's, it's all Star Wars, and we have something for you. We just have to build up 
we'd be like, hey, okay, we can make Star Wars, Star Wars, the Division and Trilogy, okay, let's do that, but let's, you know, slowly add in elements, you know, you're taking things and pretty soon you're going to have a plate full of everything Star Wars. All right, I'm about to send us in a bunch of different creative directions, So, but I don't want to do so unless you feel like you want to talk a little bit more about your narrative with this. But oh, it's going to start with Padme. Yes. I love the image they released because, first of all, it's very reminiscent, a little bit more colorful, but it's very reminiscent to Leia's costume at the beginning of Empire Strikes Back. I mean, it looks very similar to the sort of white down jacket thing she's got going on Hoth. Um, and two, how naturally and full-bodied they portray her. And by the way, the fact that Ashley Eckstein with her company, her universe has models of all shapes, sizes, colors, and ages is awesome. I, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. Star Wars is casting beautiful people, obviously. They always have. But starting with Carrie Fisher and even just sort of the everyday good looks of Mark Hamill and, and, Han, and Harrison Ford are, are trying to make these characters relatable, you know? And... I I know that was part of the casting of Ray. I know it's part of the casting of Jin. I I mean, uh, you know, I, I I there's so much bullshit anime and childish cartoon nonsense out there. I see images like this and I just think Star Wars is being run well. Um increasingly and the fact that they're trying to bring in fan favorites like Padme and it's, I, I don't want to just talk about her body here. The point is the awareness of the character, the importance of the character and portraying her realistically, but also expanding it. I mean, let's put it this way. The, 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 the physical and vocal and character portrayal of Padme in the Clone Wars and, and maybe even more in Force of Destiny has been, I think, excellent. It's definitely amazing seeing what they're doing for Padme because there's one character in the first six films that is been, I don't want to use the word mistreated, but underappreciated, and yeah, I'll use the word mistreated. It's Panama, and it's good to see that evolve. And like I said, I think if you watch the next year too, you're going to see appreciation of Panama and an evolution of the character that she is totally in need of. And back to my prediction, Natalie Portman returning back to yes. the quote unquote Star Wars at mm-hmm. celebration, it's going to be the center of that. And mm-hmm. that, that hopefully that 20th. That 20th anniversary panel is going to it's going to sell out. Mark my words. Not only that, but I, I don't need her to give a long speech. But I want Natalie to get up to that mic and be honest for five minutes and be like, "It's been a tough journey, guys. But I know you guys will love me, and I'm thrilled to be here, and I'm glad to be around. You know, the 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 the, the majority of fans who love this property." And not the, I mean, she's not going to use the word asshole, but she is political occasionally in progressive causes, you know, and to be like, you know, I've tuned out all the haters and, you know, I know that, you know, this is what Star Wars is all about kind of thing. If she says anything along those lines, even for three minutes, people will go bananas. They will lose their minds in celebration. And I think that. Natalie Portman appearance will be on national news and leading into episode nine. I, 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 if they playing their cards right with the Ryan Johnson movies and everything coming up, I, I, 
I, I don't know. I don't know. But the fact that George Lucas is still worshipped and people still blame everybody but Lucas for what they hate about the prequels and they ba- and they blame, you know, uh, uh, you know, fucking Rose Tico as, as the poster child of what's wrong with the new trilogy and so forth. I just don't think that's the majority. But I think this is the extremist thing, which is the extremist voices is, are always 10 times louder than the normal people's voices. And so they need 10 times fewer people. So if they're only 10% of the population. It seems like they're 100% of the population. I really believe that. Um, and I would love Natalie to be the one to rally around. And, but yeah, back to the, the source material. Padme's been great. The, Kat Tabor as the voice actor is spectacular. I mean, she totally nails Padme's heart and soul. And it's exactly how you think Padme would be performing, acting, and so forth in the in the parts between the prequels, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yes. So where are we today with the prequels? Because uh, let's put it this way. I know people who love the original movies, who like some of the new movies, who nevertheless hate and dismiss the prequels. And that's the group... I, I know it seems on the surface that's me, although I love the new movies, you know me. And I've come to appreciate two of the three out of the, the prequel movies. But I, that's the group that's tough, you know? Especially as they try and work more and more prequel stuff in. But let's be honest. People were talking about the Darth Maul thing, whether they understood it or not. Like, the negative... Let's put it this way. You would think the negative reaction to, or not the negative reaction, the, the apathetic reaction to Solo, a Star Wars story, would be because of too much Kira or because of Darth Maul, who no one cares about, but it's just because no one wanted to see a Han Solo movie. It wasn't about Darth Maul, and people were actually really excited about that. Um, and I think the animated series is, it, you know, it is where things are coming together. But, okay, Jake. I have to I have to get in my soapbox here for two seconds. Yeah. It, it, people out there, if you think Dave Filoni instead of Kathleen Kennedy should be running Lucasfilm, you need to go jump off a cliff right now because your level of delusion will never be recovered or compensated from. Kathleen Kennedy is arguably one of the top five producers in modern film history who has resurrected this franchise, who has made all of the best-selling movies since the originals. All of the new movies, except for Solo, have made more money than the prequels did, by the way, people, including Rogue One. And Rebels TV series, Forces of Destiny, the merchandise, the theme parks, the celebrations, which are much bigger than the Lucas years. You know this, Jaggy Girl. Celebration in the last five years is way bigger than it used to be, right? It has, yes. So, yes, it has. I love Dave Filoni. He's a brilliant producer and artist and director and writer of animated material. I would be happy to give him even a live-action Ahsoka movie. But the reason people want Dave Filoni to be the president is because he's a dude who was hired by Lucas. Oh, sorry, guys. Another uh, little pin in your balloon here is Kathleen Kennedy was hired by Lucas. The guy that you worship for the original trilogy and don't blame for any of your problems in the prequel trilogy specifically made it a condition upon the $4 billion sale to Disney that Kathleen Kennedy would take over. And you've heard Jake girl. I've had men on my program deny that this was a good idea. I don't know what to say to these people. 
Yeah, no, yeah. But I want to start relating the, the future to the past, which is, you know, I've talked about how there's been, you know, anti-woman, anti-minority uh, hate under the surface since The Force Awakens and through Rogue One, but it didn't really bubble to the surface until Last Jedi. Because let's be honest, Ryan Johnson provoked those people. And I'm happy that he did for the exact reason I said at the beginning of this podcast was this conversation needed to be had and those people needed to be eliminated. And God bless Ryan Johnson if that's the case, because he provokes me and I love that movie, but there are parts of the movie where I'm like, wow, he's really provoking people. Um, but I think it started then. I mean, the, again, the fact that Ahmed Best was a black man and the fact that Jar Jar was exhibiting, God forbid, accents like Afro-Caribbean accents. Oh, that was a thing. You have to agree in my attack of the clones. The fact that people would accuse Lucas of racism for giving world accents to different alien species is insane. Isn't it racist to not represent those people? Yeah, it can be. Like, how is, how is Jar Jar racist? I don't understand how Jar Jar's racist. Because I can't get over this Ahmed Best story. Honestly, I was very disturbed by it. And, like, once I read it, I wasn't surprised. But it was still extremely disturbing to me. Because, as you know, I, that's never been my problem. But even if it was my problem... <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't. So let's lead into the final section. I mean, where do you think the prequels is in people's minds now? I think, again, the majority of fans either like the prequels or have a measured view of the prequels, and it's a loud, annoying, violent minority that is saying the things they're saying, but I'm not sure that you perceive the same stuff I do on this subject. I think right now, when it comes to the prequels, while there are still people who don't really care for them and outright hate for them i think the majority of people has come to turn to accept them for what they are what they have come to turn with the prequel trilogy mm-hmm. and i think that 20 year mark or 15 year mark is where that line is crossed in a franchise i think now people are like yeah i don't care for them or i really enjoyed them but they have moved on they are focused on other things and you know it's that it's part of that nostalgic and stuff like that and one of the things I think people, all right. One of the things I think people accept about the prequel trilogy is its world building and the story of it, the tragedy of it, and the the two things I think right now is when it comes to the prequel trilogy is acceptance and miss potential, and we just move forward and we take what we got and we try to expand upon it to make a good story. Uh, so. Regardless of the quality of the films, George Lucas left us with a lot to work with uh, for the future of Star Wars. And I really hope they go to the prequel trilogy again because you can tell good stories and not just keep them in one period. So, yeah. Honestly, I've done a lot of thinking about this, about why Lucas, who's so smart, and even though he's quiet, he is honest hasn't done more introspection about the mistakes of the prequels. This will be in his book, like the way the Steve Jobs book told a lot of stuff he didn't want to tell before, which is Lucas, I think, is more than ready to self-criticize and has even started doing so in terms of he talks about his ideas for the new sequels and people would hate it. But 
he doesn't want to shit on something that a lot of people love and that he did get a lot of things right, you know? Like, I don't think, I've come to the conclusion that I don't think Lucas is resisting from talking constantly about, oh, I would have done this, I would have done that in the prequels. I don't think he's doing it out of a sense of ego at this point. I think he's just, he doesn't want to break the, it's Disney now. He doesn't want to, you know, if people love it, then people love it. Like, fine, in his his dying biography, he can talk about all his regrets. But does that make sense? Like, I, I honestly think you, Lucas likes where things are right now. And so why shit on it? His, his, uh, not because it's his own thing, but all the people that work for him. I mean, that's the thing about Lucas. You can say whatever you want him about, about him as a writer or director, but people who work with and for him love him. The, the, the thing about George Lucas is, and we talked about this before, is he is a storyteller. He's a creator. He's a world builder. And when you are a creator of something, especially a fictional universe, you are not able to look at it the same way that you are a consu- consumer. That's why you can argue that the creator of Star Wars these days has a better handle on it because they were first fans. So they were they're able to turn it back. But when you create something and you're not a fan, because you can be a fan of what you create, but not the same way that somebody else is. You're, you're, you're focused on the story that you want to tell. And George Lucas told his story, but he just tried to back and go back. And because if you look at the tragedy of the prequels, the story of it, if you shift around a couple of things and did the acting and shift around a couple of story elements, you could tell that he, he, he had a good idea. He had a good idea, but... He was, I don't want to use the word disillusion, but I think he felt under obligation to tell the story that he didn't really sit back and refine it more. And I think that right now, the prequels are the prequels. They stay there. We look back at them as the legacies, but there is a lot of tools that he left for creators to build. And I think the legacy of the prequels is, well, it might be failure, it is of great potential that was missed, yes, but it's potential that we can still use um, for the creators, even content creators who are mm. putting out podcasts and stuff like that, that we can tap into. I, I think mm. he gave us a lot, but it, it's, a, it's a puzzle that you have to, and some of the pieces are a little weird, but it's, it, it's still there for us. And I would argue that to a degree, when it comes to the wide world, of it, not the philosophy of it. That it, there's more to it than the original trilogy when it comes to the, the world of it. Although, um, because yeah. go ahead. Although the go thing, I, the, I, oh, the no, the thing that will never change for me about Lucas. This was great about philosophy. If you're a philosopher, you're a brilliant philosopher. You're a brilliant philosopher, even if you're a fucking drunk fuck up, because your ideas are great. Uh, George Lucas's philosophy is untouched. I know Lawrence Kirshner uh, wrote and. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, Irving directed yeah. Empire Strikes Back, and I think Lucas had a chip on his shoulder, honestly, from the original trilogy. That by far the most people's f- favorite or considered best is Empire Strikes Back, and that's the one he had the least. Um, uh, sorry, Lawrence Kasdan and Irving Kirshner. Um, that was when he had the least direct influence on in terms of storytelling. And that's not yeah. only uh, our, most people's best and favorite Star Wars film, but one of the greatest films of all time, like with the Godfather singing in the rain, Casablanca, and so forth. Go ahead. You also have to look at the fact that shortly, I th- I'm not sure on this, but like after Return of the Jedi, he lost his 
best partner that he had that made the magic of the first Star Wars film work, and that was his wife. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because because if you look at the original film, at the ori- you can go to YouTube and find this. If you look at the original edits of it, you can tell that some things were in the wrong place. It was his wife that changed up some of the scenes that made the editing of the movie work the way it did. And I'm sure she had a hand in the other two films that he didn't have. So here you have a man, a creative man, who has this idea in his head and you, mm. you know... That he was broken, but mm-hmm. you didn't have that support there I mean, or that partner. I, I I don't want to argue or try and discredit this idea because I literally know nothing about it. Um, this is kind of the first I I know a little bit about what you're talking about. I think the the bigger problem was that he couldn't keep Larry Kasdan around for Return of the Jedi. I think that was the problem. Uh, quick sidebar. Oh, Bizzlecast sidebar. We need one this late in the podcast. Jack Geekrow, the writer of the greatest Star Wars movie all time, Empire Strikes Back, Lawrence Kasdan, the writer of the highest grossing Star Wars movie of all time, Lawrence Kasdan, and the writer of the lowest grossing Star Wars movie of all time, Lawrence Kasdan. Yeah. Yeah. Something is in it. I'm not saying it's great that Han Solo didn't gross a ton, but that historical fact from a filmmaking perspective is what makes Star Wars awesome. Is that Gareth Edwards, who made Godzilla and then Rogue One, and we may never hear from again, directed one of the greatest films in Star Wars films ever in Rogue One. Larry Kasdan wrote Force Awakens, made $2 billion, and then with a Han Solo Lando Chewie movie, couldn't even crack 500 million is crazy. It's crazy. It is. It's definitely something that is, I don't want to say only in Star Wars, but it's definitely something that is very interesting. So I think Kathleen Kennedy, again, by constantly praising Ryan Johnson and people of his elk and her plan and the actresses she's getting. Okay, first of all, Kathleen, stop hiring white brunette women and start hiring more people of color, okay? Okay, that's it. That's my only criticism of you. Carrie Russell, great actress, award-winning, on a great show, The Americans on FX. We do, I, if she's if Ray's mom, fine, but we need to start getting more people of color besides Finn and Rose. Okay, that's it. That, that's my main complaint. But I, I think Kathleen Kennedy... Because I mean, look again. Lucas made the prequels, and he still probably loves them at a lot of levels. And he hired Kathleen for a reason. And they kept—they didn't just keep Dave Filoni, Pablo Hidalgo, and Matt Martin on in the purchase because they're brilliant. That was part of it, but they're also the guys that can make fun of the prequels. I mean, who in Lucasfilm can openly make fun of the prequels? Only the old school guys that Lucas hired, right? Filoni can make jar- like little, not not hateful jokes, but you know they can poke fun, or, or like Filoni jokes about, or Hidalgo jokes about trying to make certain weird things in the prequel work with the canon and so forth. Not a lot of guys can do that. That was part of why they kept those guys on. So I think Disney was very aware of the legacy, and they knew that the new generation of young little boys and girls would grow up 
and they would probably watch the prequels and like them as much or more than the original trilogy, as well as the new movies and the cartoons. And they made a judgment that they don't give a fuck about the people who were Republicans during the Jimmy Carter era, back to my history lesson, who voted for Reagan and, you know, the strength of America and blah, 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 which was the predecessor to the Trump Make America Again movement, which is exactly what's going on in Star Wars. I think Disney made that calculation. Disney is a very, very liberal company. Again, I'm not going to force you to say anything political. Disney's a very, very liberal company. And if you follow any of their Twitter feeds, by the way, follow Mark Hamill and Chris Evans for a couple days, guys, on Twitter. Just follow Mark Hamill and Chris Evans. You want to see Disney people uh, on Twitter. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. They know what's up. They know where the haters are coming from. They're not coming from two different places. It's not conservatives loving new Star Wars and liberals hating old Star Wars. That's not what's happening. I'm just being real here. And I think they made the calculation and that's why they're going to eat the Han Solo loss and move forward because they actually have a lot of stuff. I mean, let's be honest. Geek Girl, who are still the main players? Ryan Johnson, white man, Game of Thrones guys, white guys, John Favreau, white guy, Carrie Russell, white woman. I mean, they still have a problem here. Even with all the haters who say women and minorities are taking over Lucasfilm, they're also getting criticized from the other side. Now, I will say Lucas did not do himself any favors with minorities or women in the prequels. Oh, no, they, they were actually worse in that retrospect. But if you look at Star Wars compared to other big franchises such as Marvel and DC, they are actually behind the curve when it comes to behind-the-scenes representation and on-screen representation. So it's kind of ironic that the that the franchise, the most pop, one of the most popular franchises, is so criticized for its diversity of inclusion and landmarks that it's making when it's actually one of the franchises that is behind the curve. It just, it's contradictory. By the way, this may not seem big guys, but you know, I'm a film nerd. So trust me when I tell you, uh, JJ Abrams first assistant director. So his number two, okay. With episode nine is, considered one of the top three to five young women of color up and coming directors and it seems almost certain excuse me it seems almost certain they are grooming her for a role okay so that is one right there i think ava duvarnay is number two is going to happen ryan coogler who did black panther They should be getting him on a Star Wars movie ASAP. These people are all in the Disney family. I think it's going to happen. But Jay Geek Girl, again, I'm defending Kathleen Kennedy uh, as we get in the final section here, which is I don't want her to just start hiring certain types of people because people are telling her to hire certain types of people. Here's the thing about it is when I was talking about Lucasfilm and how they are approaching including certain things from the fictional side of Star Wars they are taking the same approach to it in real life too when it comes to Star Wars they know what they have on their hands and they're being conservative about it because they want to make sure that they get it right especially after the last two spin-off films so I do think that 
what people are calling for when it comes to diversity on and off screen and behind the scenes, that that will happen, but they are taking it slowly. For better or for worse, that's clearly their approach. Like I, like you said, the first assistant director is an African African American woman who I cannot wait to see in Victoria nine. Victoria Mahoney, excuse me, yeah. Who I cannot wait to see grow and stuff like that. So they will get there. It's just that they're taking it slowly, for better or for worse. Yeah, I mean, again, I always compare J.J. Abrams and Joss Whedon, partially because they're both brilliant. They both do great sci-fi on television and on the big screen. They try and cast diverse whenever they can, but they're also beholden to the studios. I mean, Joss Whedon, with the first Avengers movie, definitely did not say, hey, let's do an Avengers movie with six white people. He didn't pick any of those actors or those characters, did Joss Whedon. You know? I mean, it's tough. When you're the director, even if you're the director and writer, you don't necessarily have a say. But they're clearly with Victoria Mahoney, who is buddies with Ava DuVernay, who I mentioned, who who didn't succeed greatly with A Wrinkle in Time, but she's still very respected. She's been nominated for her Oscars. She's great. She's she. I mean, they're they're getting there. But you know, Jake, girl, Kathleen Kennedy has to be careful because if she just starts hiring women and minorities, and it seems like she's hiring women and minorities, you know, then she gets criticized too. And well. Yeah. Well, yeah. you're screwed if you don't. You're screwed if you well, do. Right. Unless you're, unless and, you're George Lucas, and then you're not responsible for anything. <laughs> but I, like I said, I do think it will be there, and I think they're sitting on a character right now that they could actually do. I mean, look at Ahsoka. I think Ahsoka could be the breakthrough when it comes to diversity okay. because you could have her drinking game. Here's the dr- okay. So first drinking game in our podcast is Rogue One. Other one is the Natalie Portman prediction by Jedi Geek Girl, which I'm I'm forcing her to make every single podcast. The next drinking game is Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Jedi Geek Girl, Bye. if they have not signed and are already working makeup on fucking Claire Temple, aka Rosario Dawson, I don't know what they're doing. Ahsoka looks like a person of color, no matter who you cast. If they cast a white girl as Ahsoka, I think, it, like Sabine, it's going to come off looking really, really bad. Right, right. But, but like, I, I, they have the potential to break through that quote-unquote ceiling with Ahsoka. And they will. We and just need to I, give Kathleen enough time to get the plans in motion. Ryan's not going to direct all three movies. He might not direct no. any of them. No, and and same with the TV show. Uh, yeah, what what is it? John Fabio yeah, is you know it's his series, yeah. but he's not going to direct every single episode, and I highly doubt he's going to write. No, everything. and actually, women and people of color have more opportunities on TV, which would be a great place for John Favreau to do a lot of that, like just the it, Jessica Jones directors and so forth. It would also be a great proving ground, not not proving ground, but it would also be a great way of people to get experience with Star Wars because Star Wars is a huge franchise. They want to make sure that they are doing it right, and you just don't want to hire a director just because they uh, fit a certain category. You want and, them to get familiar with Star yeah. Wars. There's a reason why that the people who have directed Star Wars films so far mm-hmm. and actually put it out has success with larger films. Um, it's because they have that experience. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, again, they're part of the Disney family. And guess what? You have exposure to 
some of the most up-and-coming female writer and or directors from two seasons of Jessica Jones, arguably the most feminist television show of all time. Oh my god, I love Jessica Jones. But anyways, what I want to say is... No, but, no, but, but, wait, hold on, hold on. Before you say, we'll move on. But what I'm saying is, if they're not at least talking with some of the JJ people, like, they have to be, right? Talking with some of those women? Who wrote and directed? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Uh, but anyways, what I was going to say is, another character that they can use to break through the ceiling <laughs> yes. is Lando. Oh, we never talked about this. Okay. Guys, this is going to be the final section where we continue to expand on thoughts. We talk about some other topics and we'll be a hodgepodge of stuff and I'll figure out a way to, to tie it up at a bow at some point. But Billy D coming back for episode nine. Jagged Geek Girl, this has been speculated for a long time. It seemed inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, let me ask you a question. Does this happen if Carrie Fisher is still alive? That is a really, really good question. Honestly, I would say no. I would I, say I, no, but I would, in my hope, it would be even more yes. Because Carrie Fish, old Carrie Fisher and old Billy D on screen would just be... Because she distrusts him. She never trusts him, ever. I mean... I think, I think <laughs> that they decided, they decided to hire back uh, Billy is, D. Yeah. Um, because they need a character to connect with. I know that you don't really... Okay, I'm going off a tangent here, but what I was going to say is, is I know you're not on the whole Ben redemption train, but... Wait, hold you look on, at hold the on. Vid- a, that's not true. B, we are on the... We're exactly on the tangent. We're on the tangent train right now. Like, choo-choo-choo. We're on the tangent train. Go. But anyways, what I was going to say is, is it was, the, it was my... I'm taking my cat here. Alright, but anyways, what I was going to say is, is if you look at the projection yes. of the sequel trilogy, it was evident that Leia was supposed to play an important role yes. in the final Star Wars film. And if you look at the building pieces, you can tell that that relationship that she had with Kylo, Ben, was going to be central of episode 9. If Ben was supposed to be redeemed, it was my opinion that Leia was supposed to be the key to that. Because you do not have Leia, you almost have to introduce somebody tied to Kylo Ren's past that he could have that sort of connection with. If you look at the last shot novel, you can see that, that they're kind of like hinting that Uncle Lando has a really, really tight relationship with Ben. So I think they brought Lando in to have that relationship with Ben. That makes ben. no that sense. That makes that zero sense. That doesn't mean that he will be the cause of the redemption of Ben. It's just somebody from his past. They share no common interests. I can't see Ben ever being in. He would think Lando is just a pathetic loser, I think. Yeah, okay. If you read the last shot novel. Have you read the last shot novel? No, you're the lore master. <laughs> Give it to us. <laughs> okay, okay. And yes, by the way, people, for the record... I, I have called Jedi Geek Girl the lore master. That is my name for her because she is. Give it to me. Okay, in the last shot, mm-hmm. you can see the beginning yes. of the relationship between... After, actually, you can go back to the Aftermath novel when Lando gave Han 
a gift he gave Ben a ship or whatever as a gift for like a birthday or something I, I forget the specifics of it but if you look at the last shot you can see the evolution of that you can see that there is a bond forming between Lando and Ben growing up some people have this uncle or this father figure or somebody that they attach to and they grow attached to and if you look at the last shot you can see the building blocks of that like Lando absolutely loved Ben and Ben at that age absolutely loved Lando so it is a possibility that that could play an important part in well now I look like an idiot bomb. thanks thanks for bringing that up now now I look like a fucking idiot because that's like damning evidence to your theory <laughs> that that is in, in my favor job. of your theory I'm saying yeah yeah that's my job but so <laughs> I, you knew I, I did. Be- oh no hold on hold on hold on <laughs> you knew I hadn't read that and so you make your point you make me sound like an <laughs> idiot and then you cite a source that you know I haven't read uh, guys this is <laughs> drag it girl ladies and gentlemen well done well done my lady go ahead but anyway, so I think that's why they brought Lando in because they decided to to have that connection to Ben's past. Because outside of Luke's Force Ghost, you're not going to have like Han return unless you clone him, which is ludicrous. And Leia, I mean, Lando be- is a fan favorite, and they cast probably the most popular individual young man in America right now, Donald Glover, to play him brilliantly, who everybody of all sexes and races and ages and colors loves, and it still didn't make a difference. I I don't understand. I I really don't get it. Yeah, I I don't need it, but I am really looking forward to episode 9 because I think it's going to be quite a film. So. This seems to be putting nail in the coffin. We'll ever see uh, Donald Glover again, though. I'm sad to say. You don't think we'll see Donald Glover again? You Why can't not? go Billy D to Donald Glover and then back to Billy D and Donald Glover. I mean, you could, but with the money situation, I don't think we're seeing. I mean, the one I'm the saddest about is Kira, just from a plot standpoint, and she's an amazing actress. But I don't think we're seeing any of those actors again. Mm, I think we'll see Donald again. If Rogue One, which overperformed and was critically acclaimed, you can't get those actors back or won't, then Han, which made a third of the money, I mean... I I still think you'll see Lando and other stores. I think you'll see Donald reprise his role. All right, well, here's where the prequels come fully back around, though, which is, uh, you know, I'm going to say it again. In, in, in our initial discussion, you thought the big takeaway from a lore standpoint, this is the lore cast after all, because, ta- again, as great as Donald Glover was in Ehrenreich and so forth, it was just filling in gaps we kind of knew. From a lore standpoint, the Kira Mall stuff at the end was, the, you know, the, the most, not necessarily the most interesting, but seemed to have the most... Um, carryover effect potentially and uh, uh, the next drinking game is us talking about ahsoka and the siege of mandalore which was i was getting to before so the the question is <laughs> even though the people who saw solo really liked aaron reich and glover and so forth do you bring them back or do you continue with the mission which should be obi-wan maul and ahsoka at the siege of mandalore yet again which is so prequely and what a great fuck you it would be 
to i'm not gonna say the prequel haters because i don't care if you don't like the prequels but to just the haters in general among which they hate the prequels what a great fuck you if an ahsoka movie with maul and obi-wan as supporting characters came out and made like 850 million dollars at the box office oh my god i would love that i would love i i have no doubt that an ahsoka based film would be successful uh it would be interesting to does how it would do but i think it would be successful without a doubt well no not only do you think it would be successful you said a 10 second commercial between her and maul would get everyone to the theaters oh yeah definitely yeah so what is it so so what is it about ahsoka who is a cartoon character who people didn't even like at first and now the people who know about like but most people who just watch star wars casually don't even know to darth maul who they only mostly again in the mainstream population know about him getting sliced in half and the first prequel the phantom menace so why would maul and ahsoka bring more people i agree with you on this i'm just curious your answer why would maul and ahsoka bring more people to the theater than han chewie and lando because they actually grew up not grew up, but they grew with Ahsoka more recently than they did with Han. Like, if you look at Han Solo in the original trilogy, that was like 30 plus years ago. And yeah, you got to see him like in the books, but in the books he was kind of static. It wasn't until like The Force Awakens where he really changed in dynamic. Where you look at, if you compare to Ahsoka and Obi-Wan Kenobi, you have it more recently and you were able to see the evolution from Ahsoka, the young Padawan, to Ahsoka, the Jedi Knight. Or I want to call it a Jedi Knight. Let's call it a Jedi Knight. And then you have her going beyond being a Jedi. Then you have her become Fulcrum. You see all these evolutionaries and her characters that no matter when you came into Star Wars, you can attach to. If you came in on a Clone Wars, if you came in through a book, if you came through in through the Rebels, you have a lot of entry points to her. And I think this is the same to Obi-Wan Kenobi. No matter when you came into Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi was always relevant. You are, you got to see his evolution from Padawan to Jedi Knight to Jedi Master to Old Wizard. You got to see his evolution in a way that while Han is one of the most popular Star Wars characters, he, he, I don't want to say not relevant anymore, but the more recent fans don't have hold that up. attachment. Hold up. Hold up. Hold up. I knew you were going here. Point of order. Of the $2 billion The Force Awakens made, I would bet my life that Harrison Ford is responsible for three to $400 million of that, those dollars. And I believe they paid him at least $50 million, and he was worth more than that. Harrison Ford, by himself, w- brought in hundreds of millions of dollars. So I don't buy that about Han Solo at all. But it has to be Harrison Ford. That's the problem, right? And so I actually agree with your conclusion, but for the completely different reason. Although I've said it before in our podcast, so this is more for our listeners, which is I think Ahsoka and Maul are going to be a, extremely appealing because they're only known or known well to a small number. And so it's actually going to be almost a rogue one ish in a new story to the average audience, but they will sense that there is some deep lore and coolness behind it. Maybe, you know, they maybe they remember them all, or maybe they've seen Ahsoka, 
But I think it's because of the newness of the story to the majority while giving the fan service at the same time. That's my personal opinion. Why I think it's, especially with Ahsoka, will succeed. Because she is new to the majority of casual, don't you think, the majority of casual uh, Star Wars fans? She is, yes. Yes, she is. But do you know, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Like, yes, it would succeed because it would play on the nostalgia of the minority of us who are ginormous Star Wars fans. But the people they really need to get in the box office to sell those tickets are casual Star Wars fans, and her appeal. So they could, the, yeah, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing about it: yeah, with ahead. Episode Seven, you had Han Solo. Yes, Harrison Ford helped the success of The Force Awakens because you wanted to see where Han Solo was going to go next. You wanted to see the next chapter of his life where with this prequel story there you had an element of Han that you never seen before but we basically had Han's story from being a rogue in episode 4 all the way to episode 7. You had the relevancy of his character seeing where he went but at the conclusion of that, there wasn't going to be anything interesting in the prequel that you could tell that really could get it in it. Where with with Ahsoka and Obi-Wan Kenobi, you got a lot of entry points that a lot of different fans got attached to the characters at different points in that character's life. With Han Solo, you had the original trilogy, and maybe you had the expanded universe, but outside of that, you didn't have these character steps that Obi-Wan Kenobi and Ahsoka has. You have two characters that uh, appeals to more generations because of the different points that they came in instead of Han Solo, which you had one point. People wanted to see how Han Solo's story ended, but you just, you did, there wasn't a lot of stories compared to Ahsoka. I, I just think that Ahsoka and Obi-Wan Kenobi has more relevant appeal than Han Solo. I'm sorry. Yeah, And again, I mean, look, to, uh, to head towards the close here, it, it, it all depends on what your notion of success is. And I think that, you know, I look to reviews and box office. You look to other people's online opinions to a certain degree. And we're probably both wrong. We should probably just not care what other people think about the movies. I, I just, I, I, I guess my sort of closing parting thoughts here are just that I feel s- sorry and sad that you were like ashamed to not loving something that you loved for a long time that that should never happen but i honestly do think it's heading in a better direction and for lack of a better word i think we are trimming the fat you can choose what you like and not to like but it depends how you talk about and how you treat other people and i i think the prequels in a way by being controversial and being liked by some and being not liked by others uh started that process subconsciously but it did start that process and the new movies are continuing that process i said earlier i thank ryan johnson for really pushing it forward in a big and meaningful way so as this was initially called the legacy and the memory of the prequels i will let you uh uh, (laughs) pick an avenue towards how we should end this thing the prequel trilogy is a tragic tale of Anakin. The prequel trilogy is the tragic tale of Anakin Skywalker, but it's also ridiculed. It is also 
its legacy is also filled of missed opportunity. Well, there is a lot of problems with the prequel trilogy. It has done a lot for Star Wars that up to that point that really hasn't been matched. It's opened up the world of storytelling, of characters, of opportunities that we can as fans latch onto for the future. The key is not to dwell onto the past of the prequel trilogy, but to look at its legacies and take those failures, take those opportunities and lead them into the future for storytelling, storytelling, world building characters. There's just so much that we can learn of learn from when it comes to the prequel trilogy. I say that if you don't like the prequel trilogy, if you don't, if you just wipe them out of your mind, well, that is fine. Remember that a lot of where we are right now with Star Wars is because of the prequel trilogy. Not just in world and story building, but the Clone Wars came out of the prequel trilogy. A lot of the success of the sequel trilogy came out of the prequel trilogy. So, to know where you're going, it is important to know where you came from. And the prequel trilogy plays an important part in that. And this is why I think if Disney can figure out how to make Ahsoka Tano the greatest all-time Star Wars character over generations, we'll just put a point on the exclamation point and prove that George Lucas had the right vision. It just took him a while to get there. But ultimately, if Ahsoka is... I mean, look, there's tons of great things to come out of it, but I'm saying if Ahsoka is the proof in the pudding of what to come out of the prequel trilogy and subsequent materials, that would only prove that the prequels were, you know, way deeper underneath the surface than the original trilogy. It's just that the original trilogy just executed better, but the prequel trilogy was throwing a lot more balls in the air. Guys, I'm sorry to say it. The 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 Star Wars trilogy. If you, uh, I'm sorry, the Star Wars universe. If you just look at the original three movies and nothing else, is kind of a lonely, sad, empty universe. And it doesn't even matter which movies you like or even love or whatever. But it's, and I think Lucas was trying to break out of that, right? The same way Ryan was was trying to break out of things in, in Last Jedi. He did, yeah, definitely. You know, Lucas took chances and not all of them sticked, but a lot of what he did is good and a lot of what he did is good, isn't. But wrapping this episode up, the legacy of the prequels shouldn't be so negative. It should always be, it should be of opportunity because the past is the past, but the future isn't written yet. And you can take the past and use it to grow the future and it is wonderful, regardless of if you like the films or not. They are there, and people can discover them. And as you rediscovered them, and I have rediscovered them, we're, we're finding that out. And the prequel trilogy is Star Wars, and I am glad that it's part of Star Wars. Absolutely. And uh, as I let Jet Geek Girl take us out here, guys, again, uh, it, it's it's official. We weren't just messing around. Um <laughs> the uh, Star Wars Lorecast, so swlorecast.com, uh, um, uh, at swlorecast on Twitter, facebook.com slash swlorecast. Just search for the Star Wars Lorecast. That is us. Um, and uh, I don't know if you want to tease anything for the future, Jedi Geek Girl. Um, all I will say is, I, again, want to stress, I've been very impressed by 
not that it's unified positivity at this point, but the uh, the the activism within the Star Wars community in recent weeks and months to bring people together who, again, we don't have to agree on every beat of every movie, but we can agree there's a right way to go about being a fan and a wrong way to go about being a fan. And I have been very impressed, for the most part, with people in the Star Wars community um, who, who who support this fact. And if we can be a part of that, I am I am thrilled to be a part of that. And for me, the prequels, at worst, is great lore. But I still love watching the movies for the most part. But I, I would love to get to a point where uh, people can appreciate the material and the performances of things, and they don't need to love every single thing to the depth of their soul or, you know, or hate it or whatever. You know, that doesn't have to be a binary. And so I want to welcome all of you out there who don't like the prequels but have an open mind or who love the prequels whatever your your view is it doesn't matter it's just all about having the discussion and that is what we are trying to do on this show so jedi geek girl i'll throw it to you to end it out you don't have to like everything about something that you enjoy you can like the original trilogy or dislike the original trilogy or you can not have any idea about how you feel about it that is okay Lord knows that you and I don't always agree. We agree on a lot, but we love Star Wars. It doesn't matter to what degree or what specifically, but we love Star Wars, and we are a fan of Star Wars. I enjoy doing this podcast with you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning in. This has been your Lordcast. I have been one half of your host, Jedi Geek Girl. The Bizzle is my other half for this episode <laughs> and all other episodes. If you would like to find us, you can find us on social media at Star Wars Lorecast. Everything, our website, our Twitter, our Facebook page is slash SWLorecast. You can find me at Jedi Geeko on Twitter, or you can find my podcast anywhere by searching slash IRebelDestiny. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and until next time, Jedi Geek Girl out!